literally the coolest entrance I've ever had <laughs> in my life. So it's, a, it's an exciting time of year, right? We all have our Christmas traditions, and one of your Christmas uh, traditions will be uh, to watch some movies. And I know what you're going to do. You're going to be very uh, high culture individuals, and you're going to watch great Christmas films like Miracle on 34th Street, the 1940-ish version. Uh, you're going to watch the 1951 Christmas Carol, because critics all agree that that is the best version of A Christmas Carol. Let's be honest. You're going to go home, and you're going to put on your pajama pants, and you're going to watch whatever Hallmark has churned out this year. <laughs> and to help you with your viewing selection, I've asked Fox 4's Chip Wagner to read us some titles to help you find a good choice and their IMDb synopsis. Chip, take it away. Okay. So the first one is entitled, The Spruces and the Pines. <laughs> A Romeo and Juliet romance takes place among the feuding Christmas tree lot families. Against their families' wills, New Englander Julie Pine and Texan Rick Spruce fall in love but are forced to hide their Yuletide relationship. Hmm. How about this one entitled, Snowmance? Each year, Sarah builds her snowbow snowman with her best friend, Nick. After another breakup, she begins to wonder if she'll ever find true love of her own. But a little Christmas magic brings her snowbow to life. Okay, okay. Here's one. We'll call this the ice sculpture Christmas. Callie, an aspiring chef with her childhood friend David, enters Callie into a club's annual Christmas ice sculpting competition. It's against her boss. Callie's passions for cooking and ice sculpting are met with romance and the Christmas spirit. Finally, engaging Father Christmas. Miranda's flying back to Vermont from her home in Seattle to reconnect with her family over the holidays and to see Ian, a local handyman she fell in love with on her last trip to the Green Mountain State. But when changing plans and planes in Boston, Miranda runs into old boyfriend Josh, who chases her to Vermont, where Miranda learns of a family secret that could destroy her family. Can Miranda keep her family and her love for Ian together and intact? Or will she forever lose her chance at a beautiful winter wedding? That last one has the most convoluted plot I have ever heard in a movie. Can we get the picture back up of that real quick? Can we look at, the, at Ian's picture? That's the eyes of a man who says, I'm dead inside. <laughs> Rescue me from this movie that I'm in. No, 
There's nothing wrong with Lifetime, Hallmark, Netflix has even gotten in on the game, these movies. But we know objectively that they're bad, right? We know they're not like going to win an Oscar or whatever it is that you win for being a Hallmark movie. But we still go to them like moths to the flame. We can't get enough of them. Why? I think the reason why we love these movies so much and why we spend so much time with them is because we want the magic of Christmas. We want to feel some sense of a magical Christmas, but we don't want any of the risk really that comes with it, and we want it to be safe, and Hallmark movies are nothing if not safe, right? If we're honest with each other, we're probably a little jaded about Christmas. If you're like me, Christmas isn't necessarily a time to get excited and get hyped up. Some of us are like that. Maybe you're like me and you kind of just trying to get through the season. Just trying to survive family engagements, engagements with friends, company Christmas parties, your spouse's company Christmas party, just trying to get through the year. Last week we talked about having a blue Christmas and Christmases where uh, you're just depressed, you're down, and many people are like that, but I think many more aren't necessarily blue, we're just apathetic. They don't care. And so this week we're talking about a red color, a red Christmas. We want a Christmas of passion. Red is a passionate color. It's not a color of indifference. It's a color of love. It's also a color of anger. It's a color of fire. So I want us to talk about today how we can put a little red, how we can put a little passion back in our Christmas. We're going to be in Romans 5, chapter, six, or chapter 5, verse 6. And the first thing I want us to see is that red is the color of love. Red is the color of love. So everybody wants a Christmas to spend with someone else, right? We don't want to be alone on Christmas. It's one of the things uh, that the Hallmark movies kind of push at us. They, they want us to find someone uh, to be with, to love, and to have some sort of merry, magical experience. Uh, but these movies are evidence that we're looking for something greater, some kind of experience that's radically different than the one that we get. We want constant warmth, a little bit of drama, a little bit, that can be resolved in an hour and a half but one that doesn't extend over 20 years, like many of our Christmases do. But unfortunately, that's not the Christmas you're probably going to get. You're going to have some fights with your family. You're going to get into it with them about some inane things. You're going to be disappointed with some gifts you get. And you're going to have to pretend like you like it. That is the greatest stressor on me at Christmas. You might even feel a little empty and hopeless while you're at the Christmas time. And that may transition into 2019. It may just keep going. And so we come to Romans 5, and Paul's talking about the first half of chapter 5. In the first half of chapter 5, he's talking about the great hope, the great joy, the great excitement of being a follower of Christ. And he's saying that the reason why we can be excited, the reason why we can be hopeful is because God loves us. And he proved this by sending his son to die on the cross. And then he talks about suffering. And in the face of suffering, how it may not feel like you have God's love, but he's reminding you that if you ever doubt God's love, you follow the trail of blood back to the cross and you remember that God loves you, even if it doesn't feel like it. So when you're in this season of of apathy, perhaps, of Christmas, we can remember, we we can embrace the fact that God loves us even though we don't feel like it. And when we, when we come into this season, I think one of the reasons why we don't like Christmas 
and why we're apathetic about it is because our weaknesses are kind of on display. But Paul talks about how our weaknesses are overcome by him. Look in verse uh, chapter 6. God's passionate love is overcoming our weakness. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So the problem that we have in life, one of the problems we have in life, is that we're not in a Hallmark movie. We're in like Saving Private Ryan. We're in the middle of a war. You were born into a war. You were born on the wrong side of the war. When our ultimate parents, Adam and Eve, ate of the fruit of the tree in the garden, they put us into a war. And you didn't get to pick a side. You're just born into it. And you're born on the wrong side. And Paul says that while we were still weak, God did something. Now, this weakness is really twofold. The weakness is one, we can't obey God's law. So God has law. He has rules that he wants us to follow in order to have a perfect relationship with him. But we're born with the inability to do that. That's the first kind of weakness. Then he says, Christ died for the ungodly. This is the second kind of weakness. Ungodliness is a biblical term meaning not only did you not, want to keep, not, did you not keep God's law, you didn't really even want to keep God's law. Our weaknesses is twofold. We don't want to honor God, and we're incapable of doing that in and of our own strength. And so this is what Paul means by weakness. And everybody carries this weakness. Everybody's incapable in and of themselves of satisfying God and making him happy on their own. So what do we do about this? This is why Christmas is brilliant. This is why the incarnation of Jesus Christ is brilliant, because God uses the virgin birth, to circumvent man's weakness. Because in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, when the angel comes to Mary, and Mary says, how will this be because I'm a virgin? The angel Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you will conceive, and the child will be called holy. Holy is a title reserved only for God. Thus, Jesus is fully human. He's born of a human woman, so he's fully human. He assumes all of our qualities except for one, the flaw of weakness, the weakness of being, able, being unable to satisfy God's wrath because he's fully divine. He's born of the Holy Spirit as well. God's solution for overcoming our greatest weakness is to use the weakest, one of the weakest things in the world, an infant. There's few things weaker than an infant, and yet God uses him to rescue us. As I said before, some of the reasons why you're apathetic towards Christmas is because you're bracing to have your weakness put on display. You're going to spend time with your family who nitpicks you, ask you all sorts of questions, like, why aren't you married yet? Why don't you guys have kids yet? When are you guys going to have the next kid? Why do you still labor in that job? When are you going to get a job? When are you going to graduate? Your family has a tendency to remember things about you that you don't necessarily like, even though the fact that you're a fully grown man or woman, they still bring up that time at Christmas when you pooped your pants. And you're like, I'm an adult now. I've been capable of going to the bathroom on my own for many years. And yet we still bring this up every year. If you're a parent, you see maybe the dad next door has bought his kid a brand new bike. Kid's riding around on the bike, and then kid stops, pulls out a brand new iPhone. And you're looking at that, and you're looking at what you're going to get your kid for Christmas, and you think to yourself, 
I'm just trying to find a used bike. Not even a brand new one. I just need a used one. And you feel like your weakness is on display. Social media, engagement pictures are coming up with their little festive light background because that's what Christmas lights are for now. And you think to yourself, when's my turn? When's my Christmas engagement going to come? You want to be excited about Christmas, but all the things around the season seem to remind you of wounds and weaknesses that you have. Remember that God overcame weakness with weakness. He overcame weakness with weakness. He didn't use strength. He used weakness. And those things that appear weak, the things that make you feel insecure, the things that seem to be on display that you'd really rather not have, those are the things that God can use to really help us put red and passion and excitement back in our Christmas. Now, that's a radical thought. So what do I mean? Well, your weaknesses turn you to God's unconditional love. Your weakness turns you to God's unconditional love. Look at verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. All right, let's stop here because Paul's talking about a righteous person and a good person. Now, what's the difference? Honestly, there's probably not much in Paul's thinking. One of the ways you can look at it, one of the commentaries I read this week talked about how righteous is like an objective good. So you'd be willing to die for somebody that we would all agree was a really good person. Like Abraham Lincoln, you'd be willing to die for because he was a good person. George Washington, good person. Gandhi, good person. We all agree these are good people and they made positive impacts on humanity. Mother Teresa, we like them. The other version of good is simply subjectively good. So like, I think my wife is the best wife in the world. Why? Because she's mine. Hopefully you think your spouse is the best in the world. That's a subjective kind of goodness. I'm willing to lay down my life for those in my family, possibly, because they mean something to me. You might not feel that same affinity. That's what he means by good. And Paul says in verse 8, though, that God's love doesn't work like that. It's not for, uh, just for objectively good people. It's not for subjectively good people. Read verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were God's mortal enemies, not objectively good because we couldn't keep his law and not subjectively good because we rejected his love, Christ dies for us. He dies on our behalf. He substitutes for us. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and we all agree that the inability to please God is our greatest weakness, and we've trusted God with our greatest weakness, this inability that we have, why is it that we don't trust him with our other weaknesses? Think about it. If I have an enemy, somebody who's my sworn enemy, and I know of a weakness that they have, what am I going to do with that? I'm going to expose it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm going to crush them with it. But that's not what God does. God takes our greatest weakness, and rather than taking advantage of it, he heals it. He binds it up. He cures it. He fixes it. And so we come to this point, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, your greatest weakness has been cured. And so now, when I go to God, when I go to God the Father, I don't have to worry about him throwing my weaknesses back in my face. You don't have to... Worry about that. You can bring your weakness before him because he loves you. You can be excited about Christmas 
Because what you can do is you can bring those white elephant gifts that life gave you that you never wanted. And you can bring them back to God because he is an excellent return policy. That addiction that you really hate but you can't help but go back again and again and again, you can bring that to him. Because he loves you and he's overcome your weakness. That rough marriage that you're in, that you're just as much to blame for as the other person is. You can bring that to him. And he's not going to throw it back in your face like, well, you've caused problems too. That's not how he responds. The anxiety that you have that keeps you up all night, you can bring that to him in the dead of the night when you're wondering if you're even worth anything. And you can do with those awful white elephant gifts what the wise men did with theirs. You can lay them at the manger and wait for them to be glorified at the cross. Because when you take these gifts, these terrible gifts that you have, that you don't want, when you take them to Jesus, he exchanges them and he gives you back joy. He gives you back grace. He gives you back mercy. He gives you faith. More than anything else, he gives you back love. You're not going to find a better return policy than that. Red is the color of love. It's also the color of rescue. Another theme of the Christmas movie is the idea of saving Christmas. I'm going to describe a Christmas movie to you, and I want you to tell me what movie I'm talking about. Misfit doesn't belong in his group of people. There for Christmas, and he makes some friends, makes a friend, and he has to save Christmas using special abilities that only he has. Wrong. Whoa, what? No, I was talking about Die Hard. New York cop in L.A. doesn't belong at the Christmas party using special abilities that only he has and with the help of Carl Winslow from Family Matters, he rescues Christmas from Severus Snape and a bunch of Germans. The theme of rescuing Christmas is a common theme. It happens again and again and again, right? The Bible story itself is the story of an outsider who comes and dwells amongst men and rescues them with a special ability that only he has, the inability to sin. And so we've been rescued. But have you ever thought about what God has rescued us from? It's actually a dramatic rescue from three things. The dramatic rescue from God's wrath. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Look, we don't like to talk about God's wrath because we like to think of God as like this kindly old grandfather that just lets us do whatever we want. And we also think of wrath as like God flying off the handle and just swatting people. That's not what wrath is. God is holy and just, and he punishes evil, and we want him to punish evil. We like that. That's a good thing about God. The problem is we don't like that God wants to punish evil if we're implicated in it. God's wrath is a measured response to evil. It's because he's holy and just. That's how he punishes evil. But what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection does for us is it takes the, fo the force, it takes the barrels of the gun of God's wrath off of us. Because when God looks at us, he sees righteousness. When he looks at us, he sees Christ. He doesn't see a sinful, broken person. He sees a holy, righteous person who is made righteous by his son. And this is Christ's dramatic rescue. Maybe this is one of the reasons why you don't look forward to Christmas is because you understand that Jesus died for you, but you're having a hard time believing that like he's not mad at you for other stuff you've done since you got saved. 
Because when you go home for Christmas, people bring up things that you've done over and over again, ways that you've forgotten their birthday like 20 years ago, and they just won't let it go. And if people that love you keep throwing stuff back in your face, ways that you've screwed up, then God, who also loves you, must do the same thing. Wrong. That's not how Jesus' love works. You are no longer subject to God's wrath because his justice has been fully satisfied. Someone has been punished in your place. And this doesn't mean one time. It's every time you screw up. God loves you and he has passionately rescued you. And he didn't rescue you to throw you in the doghouse every time you mess up. God will never be vengeful. He will never be angry. He will never be wrathful at you again because of what Christ has done. But it doesn't just call a ceasefire between us and God. It also calls us to a relationship. We have a dramatic relationship with God, a dramatic rescue to a relationship with God. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. We move from legal language, justified, to personal relationship language, reconciled. And how close of a relationship now do we have with God? Well, the Bible uses two. It uses adoption to describe the family relationship that we have, and also uses a banquet table, a feast. You're going to go home, and you're going to spend time with family. And it might be a little awkward, it might be a little weird, because family dinners are intense, and sometimes you don't even feel like you belong in your own family. But God has adopted you into a great family. And so when you come and you sit down at a Christmas feast, you might be a little nervous around your family because like there's a secret that everybody knows, but you're all still trying to hide it from grandma. Like Becky brought her boyfriend home and you all know they're living together, but you can't say it to grandma. And so we approach the same, because we view God as like this little kindly old grandfather, we think there are things we can't tell him at the banquet table. We've got to put on our nice clothes and act nice. God wants to know every terrible thing about your life. One, he already does, but he wants to talk to you about it. More than that, he wants to fellowship with you. He wants to banquet with you every day. He wants to rejoice. He wants you to have the best Christmas dinner ever, every day of your life with him, celebrating. And if you are uh, the Becky in the room who's doing something that you're like, I don't think God would approve, but I, it makes a lot of sense to do it this way. You can talk to him about that too. You don't have to be ashamed of that. God wants to talk to you about it, and he wants to teach you why going in a different way would be better for your life. Because you're his child. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He just wants a relationship. So we have a relationship with him. But we're also rescued from some pretty amazing evil villains. What good Christmas movie doesn't have a really good villain? Think about Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. I hate that guy. He's the worst. We have been dramatically rescued from an amazing rogues gallery of some of the worst villains in history. Sin, death, evil, Satan. And he dramatically rescues us from them. How does he do it? Look back at verse 10. It says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The enemies that we have, sin, death, evil, Satan, they use death to hurt you. They want to use death to get after you. But the way you beat death is to have life. We are saved by his life. God wants to inject 
resurrection life into your life, into your everyday life. Not just for an eternity so that you can be one with him or you can be with him forever, but today, right now, a resurrection life. You don't have to be enslaved anymore. You're free. You're free. You don't have to give in to that addiction again. You're free. You don't have to be afraid of death or illness. You're free. You can trust Jesus to provide for everything you need because you're free. You've been dramatically set free by the red blood of Jesus Christ. Red is the color of rescue. Ambulances, fire trucks, they all have it. Red is the color of rescue, and our rescue came by the red blood of Jesus Christ. Red is the color of rescue, and it's the color of love. So what do we do with this? Red is the color of rejoicing. It's the color of rejoicing. Your life's not a Hallmark movie. We talked about this. But one of the ways, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your life will be like a Hallmark movie, is that it's going to have a happy ending. It's going to have a happy ending. Look at verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So what do we rejoice with? We rejoice with love. Rejoice with love. Don't wait on people at Christmas to love you first. Love them yourself first. Love boldly. Love your family well this year. And not just the ones that are easy to love. Find the one that's hard to love and love them. Don't let their feelings about Christmas dictate the way you feel about Christmas. With your coworkers. Your coworkers are stressed this time of year. Everybody's trying to make bonuses and trying not to get laid off before the holidays. Be kind to your coworkers. Treat them. Treat them well. Take them to coffee. Tell them how glad you are to work with them. And then lastly, rejoice with yourself this year. Love yourself this year. It's really easy at this time of year to look back at all the things you failed to do this year. All the goals you had in January of 2018 that you look back now and you're like, golly, that's super stink. I was going to read a bunch of books this year. I didn't do it. I was going to memorize Colossians this year and I didn't do it. I was going to give up Diet Coke this year and I certainly didn't do that one. I can feel like a failure. But because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, guess what? I have God's forgiveness. I have his mercy. I'm not a failure. I have Christ living inside of me. He loves me. Whether I never drink another Diet Coke again or I kill off the 20-pack that I have at home right now, it doesn't matter. Rejoice with rescue. How are you hurting? What wounds are you licking today? You are rescued by Jesus Christ. You can be excited. I know we're afraid to be excited about Christmas because we've been burned before. Most of us aren't kids anymore. Some of you are, and you hold on to that Christmas spirit as long as you can, whether you're five or 50. But some of us have been burned. It's hard to get excited about Christmas. Maybe you lost a loved one. It just doesn't feel the same way as it used to. You are not defined by those weaknesses that hinder you. Your last name isn't whatever mental illness you have. It's not whatever disorder you have. It's not whatever body image you think is socially acceptable and which one you don't think you have. It's not your past. It's not your failures. These things do not define you. You are a child of God. Rejoice in the rescue. 
How are others around you hurting? How they've had a hard year? It's easy for us to focus on our own dissatisfaction, but there are people hurting all over us, all around us. Reach out to them and tell them about the baby in the manger. If you can't talk about Jesus at Christmas time, there's not going to be a comfortable time to do it. Talk about him today. And then lastly, rejoice for next year. 2019 is going to be a good year at Park Cities. I'm excited to share with you that uh, Jeff has had it laid on his heart that we should have a year of the Bible, which is cool because we spend a lot of time in the Bible already, so it's exciting to see what the next level is. I'm pumped. 2019, year of the Bible. So here's what we're going to do. Starting January 7th, we're going to read through Scripture together. There's a Bible reading plan on readscripture.org. You can already look at it. You can get ready, kind of see what's ahead. But we're all going to read it together. And I want to encourage you to do that with us. I'm going to do it. And, and it's hard to keep up with a daily reading plan. I get it. But you can do it. You can do it with us. We're going to go through really cool sermon series. We're going to walk through Genesis uh, starting in January. We're going to talk about King David uh, later on. And then we're actually going to talk about Revelation in November. Uh, which is daunting, but fun. It's going to be a great year. You can pick up a paper copy of the readscripture.org material at uh, Christmas Eve as well, starting at Christmas Eve. Look, the calendar's going to flip to January 1 pretty soon. What are you going to do? Are you going to have another bland year? Are you going to have a year filled with red, with passion, with excitement that makes a Hallmark Christmas movie Look like a Quentin Tarantino. There's an odd image that I now have in my brain. (laughs) What's your 2019 going to look like? It starts today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he can be your Savior today. You can have the rescue. You can have the love. You can have red today in your life. You can join our church today. You can be baptized. This can be your time to put passion and joy and love back into Christmas. You don't have to be apathetic anymore. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, you have poured out your love on us through your Son. And it is by his wounds that we have been healed. We have rejoicing. We have been reconciled to you through him. And we give you praise. We rejoice. We rejoice that our, that our weaknesses have been taken away, that we can now run freely whole. We can give you back those gifts that life has handed out that we don't want. And you'll give us love. You'll give us joy. You'll give us peace. Lord God, we give you praise. Because you're a God who doesn't take advantage of our weakness, but you heal us. You draw us close into the family with you. And we sit and we banquet and we feast with you. We give you praise. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.